Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Casual Shooter Podcast. You have Dave and Leo this week. Hey everybody. And another distinguished guest. This week it's Mike Seeklander. Hey, Say hello, how Mike. Are you? Good evening, afternoon, wherever it is. <laughs> wherever we're at. Um, all right, Mike, so go ahead and take a minute and introduce yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Mike Seeklander, and uh, I own a couple different companies, uh, all primarily focused uh, in training. Of course, uh, Shooting Performance is my primary company that I teach through, so I travel and teach classes all over the U.S. And, uh, of course, I also own the American Warrior Society, which is basically a membership website, uh, and there's a competitive version as well. So I have a, a few published books in the market. You can find them on Amazon or my website. And uh, my background is, uh, every time I get on a podcast and talk briefly about my background, I, I feel like maybe I could never hold down a job because I kept going from place to place to place. You know, it was always the next opportunity. But I'm a former Marine. I was an active duty Marine in 90 to 94 and then did the reserves for a while. Uh, and after the Marine Corps, got into law enforcement in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. So anybody from Tennessee, shout out to you. So. Uh, I was a sheriff's deputy as well as a city cop later on. And then uh, just after 9-11, got hired to uh, be one of the primary instructors for the air marshal service and started training new air marshals and eventually took over the firearms program where I, I ran a program called Phase 2. Um, and, and then anyways, fast forward to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center for a few years and then to Tulsa, Oklahoma to run the U.S. Shooting Academy. And now I travel and teach and write and do some TV stuff. So very nice. That's quite the very, yeah, well, you answered all my questions. So, so what was uh, your... I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I told you though, it sounds like I can't hold down a job when I start going then I went from here to here. I, every time I say it, it sounds the same to me. So, so, so what was uh, Mike? I was a former Marine too. So what was your MOS? I was in O2. Well, O2 31 and active duty. Uh, and I got out okay. and got in the reserves, and I was a, what was I, a 8531? Is that a combat engineer? Uh, I think. 8531 is primary uh, marksmanship I have a secondary as a primary marksmanship. 1371? What is what is a combat engineer? Anyways, when I got out, I joined the reserve. I joined an intel reserve unit for a little while, and then I went to uh, a combat engineer unit in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, uh, so primary was an intel guy. So. I don't know if you know this. If you don't know this, we're probably going to have to end the podcast now. But the greatest pizza place ever is in, um, oh, why can't I think of the town? It's Big Ed's Pizza, just north of Knoxville, 20 minutes. Uh, what's the what's the um, nuclear oh, you're facility about, up there? I Oak Ridge. exactly what you're talking about. I know the pizza place in Oak, Oak Ridge, Ridge, Tennessee. That's right. Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Big Ed's is awesome. Yeah. I've, 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 in there. It you is know, awesome. I, I think I, Big Ed's was one of the last places I ate at before I moved out of the Tennessee area, which is kind of strange. So. Okay. I had um, passed through there in the late 70s because my dad was on the Marine Corps rifle team, and they would shoot at Oak Ridge every year. So we'd go there, and that was when Big Ed was alive and owned it, and he'd have this huge shindig and, and all the – um, military competitors, Army, Marine Corps, everybody would show up there and make it a big party. It was pretty pretty wild, pretty awesome. So I took my kids there uh, not too long ago, and my wife as well. So yeah. 
Love the Knoxville. Love that whole Eastern Tennessee yeah, I do, area. I do too. Very I, nice. I have uh, still have a good friend that lives there, and I visit. I, I miss it. If there was a place that I would consider moving to, maybe other than the mountains like Colorado or Wyoming, it would be probably be back to Tennessee. I, I really loved living in Knoxville area. So, yeah, we uh, we like visiting the Gatlinburg area as well. Very very nice. All right. Well, enough of that, I guess. All right. So we do a few questions where we get to know Mike. Our first question is, what's your favorite movie? Ooh, my favorite movie. Man, that's a good question. Uh, three or four popped into my head. Boy, but pro probably from a historical standpoint, I would throw out uh, two. Uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales. The second one would be probably First Blood, the original, you know, Rambo, First Blood. The one where he yeah. Gets up in the mind. That was my, I, matter of fact, I distinctly remembered the day I watched that movie, both of them, and have rewatched them probably hundreds of times since then. So, The Outlaw Josie Wells is my favorite as well. Is it really? Yeah, that's, that be it, it I, really is. I've literally watched that movie <laughs> probably a hundred times. I love it. I absolutely it, love the movie. Same here. Same here. And I just watched First Blood yeah, the other classic. day. You sure guys haven't been hanging out before this? Uh, no, I, that's weird. That almost seems scripted, but that's the... Uh, I know, it does. What about favorite book? Ooh, um, man, that's a great one. I don't know, if do I have a favorite book? I can't pick my books, can I? Does that count? I was about to say, you, can, you can't pick Rambo because, as some people don't know, that is a book. And you probably yeah. shouldn't pick your own because we'll let you plug those at the end anyways. Yeah, well, okay, we'll plug my books in. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite book. You know, typically I, I read a Actually, if you can see it behind me, I have one of Jack Carr's. His, that's his newest novel. That's a signed copy. Uh, Jack, yeah. Jack sent me. Uh, he, I, I read a lot of, uh, you know, kind of fiction, thriller kind of stuff like that in the evening to turn my brain off. But it, you know, my reading times are different. Like in the evening, I want to kind of relax and turn the brain off in the morning or, or during the day, then it'll probably be some sort of business related book, you know, like the four hour work week, you know, Tim Ferriss or wh whatever variety out there that I might want to read. I'm, I'm always into some sort of business book that's going to teach me the next thing about, you know, business. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I like his, I like his series a lot. It's really, really fantastic. But I'm thinking, you know, one of the, probably the, one of the books that captured my attention, two, two books that really captured my attention. One is fiction and, and weird, and I don't know why. I just really loved it. Uh, day by day was uh, The Martian that they made into okay. a movie. And then I think I'm getting the title right. One of my very favorite books of all time was, uh, I think it's Undaunted Courage, the Lewis and Clark journey. The, the, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's, that's the right title. But that's a huge book. Uh, backstory on it. I actually got that book originally. When I was a flying federal federal air marshal, and I'd been reading the book, and I had just gotten to the point where it's getting really good and really excited, and I love the historical uh, pieces in it as well. It's it's so correct, but uh, and I left the book on an airplane, and then I, I I didn't rebuy the book for years, probably ten years or fifteen years. Finally, rebought the book and and started you know reading it again. Man, that's a great book. So, hmm, I have to yeah, look into fantastic. that. Fantastic. Very neat. How about your favorite historical figure? Since we're on history. Historical figure. Oh man. Um, 
This is, these are certainly questions I haven't been asked before, so I don't have any canned responses. I would probably have to go with uh, either Patton or Chesty Puller, and I might have to lean toward Chesty Puller, but I love Patton as well. I don't know. Are they historical figures technically? I think so, right? Um, they occurred in history. They yeah, absolutely. I I absolutely. Too. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to lean to... If I'm going to lean toward Chesty Puller, because he was, of course, the Moraine, uh, or, but Patton had some pretty good flair, too. So. Yeah, I feel like Patton should have I been a totally Marine. agree. I think, he, I think he probably thought that. <laughs> he was definitely a fantastic general, so can't, can't fault him. I'm going to combine the next two, um, and that is what's your favorite firearm, and the other half of that is what's your favorite caliber. They don't have to be the same. Boy, so favorite firearm, that is so tough for me to answer, and I get that question a lot, actually. Uh, I'll get it in classes. I'll just get it randomly, you know, in, in different uh, on different ranges and shooting sessions. It's very difficult for me to pick a favorite firearm because I I really kind of divide my firearms skill development and what I'm doing in that moment in time based on what I'm getting ready for. You know, uh, so like for example, this in a week we're going to go shoot the single stack national. So I've been shooting a lot of my single stack guns specifically the 40 because I shoot single stack major in the USPSA division. Um, and then, you know, that'll segue right into, you know, the next division, the next thing. Um, I, you know, I, I am a, I'm a 1911 fan. I'm a sponsor shoot with Wilson combat. So that full disclosure here, you know, they're, they build the best 1911s out there. So I have to love 1911s, but I did anyways, I always have. I remember when I, I shot, my, my first 1911. So if I had to pick a favorite gun, I would pick a 1911 variant. Uh, which one I would, I probably would lean toward, you know, one of the single stack nine millimeter guns that I'm shooting a lot in ESP and IDPA, just because they're so easy to shoot. They're, they're, mine are hundred percent reliable. They're so easy to shoot. I love, I enjoy shooting 45 and 40, uh, but it, it kicks more. It's, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm getting old. I get beat up pretty easily, right? So the gun recoils in my hand. So favorite caliber would probably be 9mm. I think it's very versatile. It's cheap. It's easy to practice with. Uh, I think it's a, a completely effective carry type round for, you know, civilian defender type shooters. If you, if you know, you pick the right, you know, carry ammo and some of the new ballistics with the, some of the, the stuff the FBI is carrying and uh, it, it's fantastic. So I'd probably pick 9mm as the, as the caliber. So. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. <clears throat> now, do you have a do you have a favorite rifle? Well, um, you know, our once again, I, I kind of default to what am I getting ready for? Am I am I training a lot with the PCC? So of course, that's not technically a rifle. It's, it would be a carbine. I I enjoy our uh, AR9 PCCs mainly, and here's why: because. If I'm shooting a carbine, you know, an AR, it looks and feels and is set up pretty much identical to my AR style rifles, but I can shoot steel on it all day long at distances that are appropriate for steel. So I don't have to worry about having rifle rated steel or going back to 50 or 60 or 100 yards to shoot steel. I can shoot, a, you know, set up a full stage or a full training drill uh, with steel, you know, poppers or, you know, I have some play racks on my range and I can shoot it with that AR-9. So technically I would probably would default to a carbine, I guess, not really a rifle, but, you know, our, okay. the, the short AR variants, you know, the 12 and a half, 14 and a half inch guns, uh, I shoot them the most, I, you know, so I probably lean in that direction. Okay. 
<clears throat> now there was a, a lot of information on your website about this, but so what all do you compete in? I know you've been IDPA national champ, um, but give us a little bit more background about your competitive history. Uh, well, I've shot everything. Uh, I've, I've competed in uh, USBSA for uh, well over 20 years. I've competed in IDPA pretty seriously for, you know, probably almost 15 years. Uh, as you said, I have, uh, I have two bug gun national titles. I have an ESP national title and I have an ESP world championship. Last, the last time we shot IDPA was actually technically a world championship. Uh, in IDPA, and of course, I've I've done a little bit of three gun. I don't do I don't do three gun or multi gun a lot, but back in the day when I started shooting USPSA, I shot uh, primarily the limited division until it turned uh, until they branched out and then shot production for a while. Uh, I have done the still challenge. I actually won the production division still challenge. I guess that was a divisional title. I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that. Uh, for a very short period of time, I, I shot for Smith and Wesson. So I really have competed in everything, to include bullseye and high power. I had the opportunity to compete and, and do some bullseye shooting and high power when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, and actually, one thing that a lot of people don't know about me is I was actually selected to go to what's called the summer teams for the, as you would be familiar with the Marine Corps rifle team. And um, the, my company, Gunny, or the Gunny was in charge of the section I worked for, shot it down, wouldn't let me go. Took me on a deployment instead, which is cool because I got to go on a Mediterranean float. But, uh, to answer your question, from handgun to rifle to whatever, I've competed in pretty much almost all the sports out there uh, in terms of practical shooting or bullseye type handgun shooting. Uh, I've shot the Bianchi Cup a couple times, and um, right now, primarily USPSA. You know, they, in terms of competing, I always tell my students, if everything is a priority, then nothing is. So. If you really want to get good at something, pick your sport, pick your division, and focus on that. Maybe for a period of time. Maybe set that to be your yearly goal. That's your division. That's your sport. Uh, and what I personally found is, you know, I was jumping back and forth from so many things. I was good at all of them, but I wasn't great at any of them. So I kind of stopped doing that today. What am I the best at? Let me focus on these specific areas and kind of stick with that, which tends to be USPSA, single stack, uh, division or you know IDPA ESP or what they call care optics so so like the old jack of all master yeah. of none type yeah I, I it's fun I, it's it's I think it's interesting to jump around and do different things but I think the reason a lot of shooters do that is because they get bored and they're like okay and, or maybe they're not performing like they want to and they think well I'm gonna go jump over here because I'll perform better over here because I you know, I'm not doing well over here. That's not the case. The, the, the division, the gun, the, the sport is not the issue. It's the person that's the, that needs to be solved. It's the it's training issue. Um, so yeah, I, I found that when I'm diversifying too much, I, I'm just going in 10 different directions. And for me, I want to compete at the top level. I may not win, you know, but I want to be competitive at the top level. If I'm not competitive at the top level, then I don't, I don't want to compete in the sport or that division, you know, so. How did you get into competition shooting? Um, well, when I was in the Marine Corps, I have I found a magazine, and uh, they had Jerry Barnhart and Rob Latham on the cover. I think it might have been like the American Handgunner back in the day. They used to publish the Nationals every year, and I saw these guys and their fancy outfits and their race guns. Uh, and then I ordered some VHS tapes of those guys shooting, and when I saw them shoot, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. 
the, the, the original thing was, uh, you know, I was training in kind of a, we used to you know, tactical training, handgun training, you know, because my goal was to try to get into different entities in the Marine Corps that, that shooting was certainly a, something you had to be able to do well at. And, uh, but I saw these guys on video and magazines and I'm like, man, I want to be able to do that. And I was hooked and I, or, we were actually on a deployment, uh, Mediterranean deployment, and I ordered holster and mag pouches and belts and had a gun built and just had it all ordered so it was shipped to my house when i got back i had all this gear and thought i could go to my first match and do well and i realized very quickly the gear didn't mean anything it was the shooting that needed to to be there uh, but that that's how i that's how i got into it okay for those of you that don't know that are listening, a VHS is a square thing. You That's right. Netflix, there you go. And it has a magnetic strip. <laughs> it's not the round one. <laughs> if you had said Betamax, That's why I was I laughing. Like, wow. Yeah. We, well, we should have. We should have queried. I should have said, hey, here's a trivia question. I used to watch these things called VHS tapes. Anybody know, know what those are? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still have a couple. My parents left me. They're like, oh, here, take these. Right. Right. Yeah, good luck finding a player with them. I, yeah, I exactly. Have it's a, a special order. We'll have a du one of those dual VHS DVD players somewhere upstairs. I don't even know if we can turn it on anymore. So Yeah. U.S. Shooting Academy, how did you how did you get there? Well, um, so I was an instructor uh, at that point in time working for the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, the guy that was building my competitive guns met a, the, the guy that, named Tom Fee that was starting the U.S. Shooting Academy. And Tom was looking for a, a guy that could help him do curriculum development and develop classes and stuff like that. And my gunsmith said, hey, you need to meet Mike. He's your guy. And uh, linked me up. And two days later, Tom said, hey, I want you to fly to Oklahoma and meet me and see the land. I'm like, oh, okay. So he sent me a ticket and I got an airplane and came out and, and, and met Tom and then uh, then consulted and, and was kind of around as the U.S. Shooting Academy was being built and then eventually got hired uh, as the COO uh, in the, the original director of training and then uh, ran the company for a few years, four or five years, and then moved on to my own gig. So. Okay, now how long were you at Fletzy? Oh, well, I got hired, um, let's see, 2001, I got hired uh, with the Air Marshal Service service in 2001 and I was at Fletzy probably the tail end of 2004 almost 2005 uh, and then I was there till almost the far end of 2007 so a little over, a little over three years at Fletzy. Who, who does Fletzy train just for, for people that have never even heard of Fletzy like yeah, who, so who goes to Fletzy? The, yeah, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center has they probably have oh I even, don't even know, 80, 90, maybe 100 federal agencies. Uh, if that may not be the incorrect number, but basically they, they train and run academies for almost every federal entity except for um, the FBI that has their own training academy. Um, the DEA has, has their own training academy, I believe. And Border Patrol actually is is an entity inside Fletzy and Artesia area. So they are following our Fletzy, but... Coast Guard is at Fletzy, um, U.S. Courts, pretrial probation guys are down there, um, ATF, pretty much every HC, and then there are a lot of different courses Fletzy holds that these other agents, you know, like FBI, DEA or whatever, would rotate through and take a, you know, a two-week instructor course or 
or whatever else. But they run the primary academies for a bunch of federal agencies. And they have, uh, you know, Fletzi is in South Carolina, uh, Glencoe, Georgia, as well as Artesia. And there's also a, a Maryland campus and maybe a couple other satellite campuses. So. Oh, wow. That I didn't know. I knew of Glencoe, Georgia. I didn't know of the others. You, you were in the Marine Corps, got out sometime in 94, became a law enforcement officer. Then you started doing Air Marshal and FLETC, U.S. Shooting Academy, and then you started your own business. So Yeah. Sort okay. of. So, so tell I, us about, I, when I, okay. When I was at um, the U.S. Shooting Academy, I was authoring my first book, which was um, – a competition book because basically I took all of the, the the all of my notes from 15 years of competing, all the drills, all the things that I did in terms of practice, and I had a bunch of logbooks and I compiled those logbooks into. Sorry, guys, the dog's barking. Is you gonna be able to edit that out or just let the dog bark? Not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Have dogs. We're fine. <laughs> We've all got dogs. Choke them out here in a second. Well, so. Uh, anyways, but I had basically taken years of material and compiled it into a book called Your Competition Hang and Training Program. And I, I designed a three-phase training program and wrote this book. Anyways, at the U.S. Shooting Academy, when I was writing the book, I opened up or started my company called Shooting Performance LLC, mainly so I had a tax entity to write the book and publish the book. And then I created a website that, you know, so people could contact me. And then um, from there, uh, you know, there was a point where things weren't working out in the U.S. Shooting Academy. Uh, there's some chaos that, that went on there and i'm like well I'm, you know i'm getting requests for classes the book's doing okay uh let me let me get out and see if i can do this on my own which is scary but you know i did it and took the leap so so what did you create what did i create yeah yes what was your company that you created when you went away from us well shooting yeah Academy? my company shooting shooting performance shooting dash performance.com is the website shooting performance llc is basically a training company so um, wrote the book and uh, filmed all of the drills on video and started to travel and uh, teach classes all over the country. You know, all of this primary stuff that I did through both, uh, you know, the U.S. Shooting Academy and I did a little bit kind of on the side when I was a, a federal instructor as well. So I just traveled around and, you know, kind of the traveling roadshow where people, you know, I have a training host that says, hey, Mike, come to Kansas and teach a two-day defensive handgun class. And um, so, sure, yeah, open up a training entity and started teaching classes and continue to compete and, uh, you know, um, you know, look for those different opportunities. So, so how many books have you published? Today? So I have, um, the three primary training books, one, uh, competitive handgun, one defensive handgun and one defensive rifle. And I also have a couple log books out, but the last book I did was a book called the art of instruction. And I've been teaching somewhere around 18 years full time. And I, once again, went back to my notes, took all of it and put it together into uh, basically a, uh, a manual, a how-to manual on how to instruct, how to coach, how to build that energy, you know, how to properly handle a question, how to introduce a subject, uh, you know, uh, and then we actually teach a course called FIDC, Firearms Instructor Development Course, based on that book. So uh, four primary books and some log books. Well, that's, that's very unique because there aren't that I, I I'm not aware of any other book out there that yeah, does I that. I don't think there is. There are some instructor, instructional methodology books, you know, written by some high school teachers and college professors and stuff. But I don't think there's anything that, right. that focuses on 
what I did in the art of instruction. So. No, I mean, even um, like Leo and I, we help teach a paramedic program. And even then, there aren't a whole lot of instructional opportunities or, or learning opportunities to learn mm -hmm. how to teach. Um, like I went to, when I was in the Marine Corps, there was an actual two-week class that was an 80-hour teaching slash uh, class development course that I went to. And I haven't seen anything like that since I've been out. Yeah, I went to a week-long instructor program in Knoxville through the police department. And then, of course, when I got hired by the feds, I went through several. They, they have what's called LEITP and LEIATP, which is Law Enforcement Instructor Training Program, Law Enforcement Adjunct Instructor Training Program. And, of course, you have to go through those in order to, to, to go to the next course, which is the Federal Firearms Instructor Training Program, um, which I did as well at FLETC because I was a, a senior instructor uh, in Charleston. So, Okay. It seems to me that a lot of the, like I, I was an NRA instructor at one time, but even then it seems like what you're talking about and what your book is, which I'm going to have to get now because I'm, I'm very curious. I'm going to have to read it. Um, a lot of what is missing out of, I've even gone to a couple of other instructor courses um, for what we do. And the one, the one primarily one that I'm thinking of was missing all of the meat from how to actually sure. teach. Yep. And that's that's where I see a lot of people have difficulty, um, as you're saying, just how do you answer a question? You know, how, the little, the, the, the smaller things in life and teaching topics and creating a whole new topic. And how do you do yeah, that? The, the so structure of instructing is unique and it's also it's a big part of the process, you know. Uh, I watch people try to teach, and then when they miss the structure, they don't have structure. Their material doesn't flow well. They may be they may be the subject matter expert. They may know everything about it, but if they don't have they don't understand the right. structure of instructing that there's an order to these things. There's a proper way to do it. It just you know their their excellent material never it, it just doesn't come across. So totally agree. I once had someone ask me, what do you, what do you think makes the, uh, I'm going to pose this to you. What makes someone a great instructor? We actually do that in class. We ask that question. We, we see what feedback the students give. And I have a list of kind of pre-thought out things that I think makes an excellent instructor. So it's not one thing. Uh, it's a lot of things. And when you actually start to it's funny when you start to distill these things down there, there are some things that are absolutely necessary, you know, such as uh, a, a deep body of knowledge or skill, right? Uh, I can teach someone the, the structure to teaching the, you know, instructional structure, but to be honest, if they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the skill, to demonstrate that thing that they're trying to do, it doesn't really matter if they're following a structure. To me, then they're then they're an actor. They're no they're they're not a true instructor or a coach. They're an actor. They're acting based on information. Anybody can memorize a line or two, um, but if you have that deep body of knowledge, then you can truly answer questions from that body of knowledge, which is which only comes from 
many years of learning and experience and practicing and training and doing whatever you do, whatever you're trying to instruct in. Then, of course, the, the second thing would be that to have the energy and the passion and desire to be a, an instructor, to teach it, to give that material to someone. Because if you can't connect to your students, nothing happens. They'll, they'll know that right away. And then third, I would say, is some sort of dedication to structure, like understanding that if you're going to teach a class, it's like shooting a gun. There's a set, uh, there's a set sequence of events that we have to go through to shoot a gun successfully, right? Uh, same thing with instructing. But I would say that uh, those are three of the primary things that I would list are super important. Yeah, I was only allowed one. So uh, what I went with was basically what you were saying with number two is you've got to have that enthusiasm. I said it's going to be because it was the question was actually, who do you think is the best instructor in the world? Which was crazy. But my, my answer was whoever can maintain the student's attention mm -hmm. the longest, because that individual will be able to get across more information and maybe you will be able to get more yeah. retention. So yeah, the other things, you know, I was only allowed one. So that's what I went with. Yeah. So I like that answer. I, I, um, I do like it. But I the, the the some of the things that we do in class is actually quite unique because I'll say, okay, now we need to now we need to distill these things down to maybe one or two things. And for, for me, it's a body of knowledge and, and a, and a uh, solid amount of skill, however, whatever that means. Like to, if you're, if you're teaching shooting guns, you have to be able to shoot a gun really well. That's the bottom line. And I know their instructors like, well, we don't believe in demoing and you know, you don't always have to be the better shooter. Here's the bottom line. If you're the better shooter in your group, nine times out of 10, guess what? You'll know more and you'll be able to diagnose and actually teach people how to shoot. Um, the problem I have with all of the other things that we come up with sometimes, like for example, being a great communicator and having great energy, that's certainly important, but I've personally experienced instructors that had great energy. They're great communicators. They're very eloquent. They never stumbled over their words, but guess what? They could never do a demo because they couldn't shoot. So to me, that per, 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 they're automatically disqualified from being a great firearms instructor, if that's what we're talking right. about. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. What they're saying loses all relevancy when they can't demonstrate that they are actually That's right. knowledgeable and capable. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm sure we've all been in that class where you've taken a class from somebody and they're talking and they sound great, but the information is not good, nor is it accurate. So That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So we've all been there for yeah. that one. What is the American Warrior Society and how did that get started? We started the American Warrior Society uh, to an extent as a response to uh, all of the chaos that, that was going on in the world and the inability to, uh, you know, maybe separate, separate all of the different defensive tools that someone needed to have or know and, and basically got together with a buddy and said, hey, I've got a defensive handgun program. I've got a defensive rifle program. I've got some shotgun material out there. Um, you know, we started to explore some of the edge weapon stuff and medical stuff. And I said, but this, this, all this material, it needs to live somewhere, you know, where someone can actually become part of it and know, hey, there, there is, uh, man, there's so many things related to self-defense out there that are not just shooting related. You know, the, the problem with gun guys is we always have a gun solution for the problem. So I'm like, well, I'm going to create uh, an entity and I'm going to call it the American Warrior Society because I want, I want the average 
uh, 22-year-old housewife to embrace the fact that if she is attacked in a dark alley, that she has to become a warrior. Because a lot of people, they hear that term and they think, this is a bunch of military guys, or what, you got to be in law enforcement or military, or I'm not a warrior, I'm a doctor, or I'm an accountant, or I'm a housewife. No, no, no. Guess what? If you're in a dark alley and someone is attempting to stomp your face in, you make a decision. You become a victim or you become a warrior right then and there. A warrior says, okay, I'm, I'm going to make that choice ahead of time, and now I'm going to start practicing and learning and training and getting the tools that I need to potentially survive a situation. So we said, hey, we're going to start this thing, and um, uh, all of our members are what's called coined members. So if you're an AWS member, you get a unique numbered coin. I'm not sure what number we're up to right now. It's up in the uh, three-something, 3,000-something. But anyways, uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. There's a login portal. Uh, you know, we do a weekly Q&A. For example, this Thursday I'll do a Q&A with uh, members only. And uh, it's got every piece of content ever created and then some. It's a very, very deep vault of defensive-related information that you can access on a phone or iPad or computer or smart TV or whatever. So do you guys go, is there information then for um, non-weapon com uh, yep. combat? We have, uh, so okay. there is the sections in AWS, I'll, I'll list them. And like I said, the content is, is quite unbelievable. There's the full defensive handgun program. There's a full defensive rifle training program. There's a full defensive shotgun training program. There's a low light handgun training program. There's a medical section that has, uh, you know, how to build out an IFAC kit, how to treat some immediate trauma, how to deal with a, an edge weapon cut, stuff like that. There's a less lethal section where we talk about tasers and pepper sprays, as well as how to select them and use them. There's a combative section that has a variety of areas like uh, striking skills, ground fighting skills, weapon retention skills. Uh, there's an edge weapon section taught by my buddy Michael Janich, who runs NBC. And um, what am I missing here? There's a, a vehicle tactics section and a home tactics section. And they basically teach, like, for example, the vehicle tactics. We talk about, you know, different positions to cover around a car, how to exit a vehicle, how to manage a passenger if you end up, you know, having a threat to the right-hand side and now you got a passenger over there. What do they do? What do you do as the armed driver if you're the only armed person? And of course, in the, the uh, home tactics section, we talk about single person movements in a house, two person movements in a house, you know, strategizing and store, you know, storing your home defense weapon. How do you set up a home defense handgun? It's a pretty deep subject matter as well. So, and I'm probably missing something. There's some other things I'm missing. Oh, the performance enhancement section, which is where we talk about all these little things like the quick peek doesn't work or. Uh, you know, bracing techniques with the rifle and et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty deep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I went ahead and uh, pulled it up on the uh, your internet guys here. Guys are freezing up. And there's a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, fitness, here. rifle gear reviews, rifle training, all kinds of stuff. Very nice. Yeah, very, very thorough. Hello, now, when did you start this? Is he frozen? <laughs> I think he might be frozen. Uh-oh. Mike's video has been disabled. All right, he'll be back in a second. <laughs> well, at least we know it's not just Huggy. 
<laughs> right. Hey guys, can you hear me? All right. Yeah, it's um, he's got now. quite a bit. There's a lot in here. I mean, they have After Action AWS podcasts, so they have their own podcast. Book reviews. There we go. There okay, yeah. Hello? Sorry, guys. I'm going to pause some internet devices oh. here for a second. And there I think is, I've got oh, you and he's gone, gone. Happened there. I'm not sure what. Okay, we'll wait for him to come back. Um, but he's got book reviews, combative gear reviews, combatives, events, industry news, knife edged weapon reviews, edged weapon training, fitness, less lethal. Every time I scroll, I lose what the, uh, I guess that's the end of the list. Medical rifle gear reviews and rifle training. So there's a lot. There's a lot on this uh, American Warrior Society. There's also, oh, I just had it. That's one too. There you go. The old interwebs is failing us again. What were you going to say? No, I was waiting for it to load. They have like a case study section. Here we go. CIA. <clears throat> not the actual. Oh, is that what yeah, that is? the actual CIA. Criminal intelligence analysis. Uh, the study of the threat, collecting intelligence, prepare accordingly. So it has like crime trends. Police investigate near south shooting. Uh... So they go over, like, Lincoln, Nebraska. Monday morning around 10.30, police were called to a, the 1500 block of D Street. Um, so they go over just, I get crime statistics and things that are going on. Yep. Sorry about that. We should, can you hear me? That's okay. Oh, you're good. We were talking about right. your website, so it worked out. We are. Oh, cool. Yeah, I don't know what yeah. happened. I, I, I have full internet signal here. Everything seems to be moving fast, and I finally had to reload it and rejoin it. So, anyways. It's all good. We uh we filled the time talking about your website. Cool. So, American Warrior Society. We like it. Yeah. We were talking about the Leo had just pulled up the criminal intelligence analysis and was talking about that. Yeah. Cool. Very nice. Yeah. yeah, that's the open site that has all the articles. It's all free. People can get on and check it out and and read the articles and connect. And then there's a link there. I think it says log into the vault. So to, yeah. to get into the membership content and all the training programs, you have to be a member and log into the vault but it's it's uh it's pretty deep i think we, we we probably put content in there that relates to almost every self-defense subject that you could possibly imagine so yeah i see you have a you have an aws podcast yeah american warrior show yeah we're on season season six so okay six. i don't i don't think i've run across that i'm gonna have to i am definitely gonna have to listen to that add that to my list yeah. We have some pretty unique guests. Do you have a preference when, when you compete? Uh, like you said, I mean, you've done IDPA, USPSA, Steel Challenge. You've done some three-gun. Do you have a preference? Is there anything that you prefer to compete in? I, If I had to give you a preference, I, I'm a strong IDPA shooter because it suits my speed. I mean, I can, I'm, I can, I'm very accurate, but I enjoy the free-flowing nature of USPSA. Uh, okay. You know, so I, I would have a really hard time picking. If one, if I had to pick one, that would make me sad because I, I like the balance and some of the things I get from the other sport. I like the simplicity of IDPA. You know, the fact that we won't have a huge filled course and you have to wear 98 magazines. You're going to have a gun and two mags on your belt. You know, pretty simple. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's... it's 
supposed to be more of a defensive oriented sport. Of course, you know, competition is competition. So the guns and gear have evolved to the point where I'm not carrying with the gear that I'm competing with. So that's not realistic in, in that aspect. But it's simpler as well in terms of a new shooter. You know, you get a gun and three magazines, a holster and two mag pouches, and you're in. Where USPSA, you're going to have to have four or five magazine magazines and mag pouches. And you're going to have a, probably a 32-round field course. Where IDPA, you're going to be you know, shoot a maximum of 18 rounds on a, on a stage. Um, so I, li I like them both, and it kind of depends on what mood I'm in, which one I like the, the best. Okay. Now, would you say uh, any any of the three, uh, I'm just in, or four that we mentioned, do any of them pertain to or translate into defensive use more than anything else? I hesitate to say anything translates into defensive use in terms of training. Understand that if you're shooting a match, you're testing your skill. You're testing your your high-speed marksmanship and manipulation skills under some pressure. That's all you're doing. Uh, there are no sports out there that should be looked at as a, as a training venue for self-defense or defensive shooting. They are a testing venue. And if you wanted to do this, probably the simplest testing venue... Let's say you're a, a defensive-oriented shooter. You don't really care as much about competing, but you want to test yourself under pressure. Go to IDPA. IDPA is going to be simpler, requires less gear. You could probably shoot with your with your carry gun, even if you need to shoot in the bug gun division. Um, so it facilitates that testing process, I think, a little bit better maybe than USPSA, which is going to have some huge field-type courses and swingers and movers and you know things that might be difficult for someone that doesn't actively compete a lot. I like, I, I also shoot IDPA as well as USPSA and I enjoy it. I've actually found that they're a little bit more creative on their stage designs than USPSA, but I wish that the, I, I wish there was more ability to shoot while moving in IDPA. Right. Um, that's probably the one thing that I, I wish that they had not necessarily run and gun like USPSA, but allow you to move while shooting. Sure. I think if they added that in, that had a little bit more uh, realism, if you want to call it that. It might be the wrong word, but that, that's what I'll use for now. Yeah, that, that free-flowing movement is, is kind of more unique to USPSA, which is why I like a little mix of USPSA along with my IDPA. It's like uh, salt and pepper, right? You can't just have one or the other. you got to have a little bit of that's right. That's right. They, yeah, they complement each other. Right. There you go. So, what are your what are your competition plans this year? Well, I'll shoot the single stack nationals in uh, about a week, and then IDPA I think is in October or September. So I'll shoot the IDPA national as well. I, I may so basically focus right now. will be single stack for IDPA more than likely going to be shooting IDPA carry optic, which is different than USPSA carry optic. Uh, we, we can actually have uh, optics on our 1911, so I'll shoot pretty much the same gun that I would shoot in ESP, but I'll shoot with uh, an optic on it. And I haven't competed in that division before, so that'll be very unique. And then I may very well jump over to the USPSA carry optics division and shoot the nationals there if I have the time. So that's it. So just kind of focus on those three things. Well, I might see you in Talladega then. Yeah, I'll be there. Because um, I shoot carry optics, but I... Now, what what gun are you shooting single stack? 
I sure. I'm assuming it's a Wilson Combat. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're my they're my sponsor, so that, that that's the only gun I do shoot, right? Um, I'm shooting okay. uh, just Ever. a standard 40 CQB built uh, to my specs, and um, you know, I've got a couple of different guns that I can shoot. I have a 45 and a 40, and I've opted to shoot the 40. I just have more 40 ammo, and and it allows me some differences in terms of how I load it. Um, but I have a 45 that I like almost as as much, so. So I okay. actually have two questions uh, <clears throat> about that. Um, Cause I shoot 40 as my everyday carry. Um, Dave converted, Dave and Huggy, who unfortunately isn't here with us today cause he's got homework. Um, they converted me to nine millimeter for competition, but regardless. Um, so for your 1911 single stack, since that's what you shoot and you know, going to Talladega and, and all that stuff with a civilian marksmanship program, do you perchance, I know you're Wilson Combat sponsored, but do you perchance have a CMP 1911, like one of their uh, World War II surplus 1911s? No. If you ever get no. the chance, you should pick one up. Get one? Okay, yeah. I will. I'll, I'll take your recommendation. Yeah. No, I was, I, I was very <laughs> fortunate that I got one. Um, and it's really, it's very cool. So it's nice to be able to have a piece of history, man. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm not a gun collector, but I really like some of those historical nuggets. Like yeah. those, that, a 1911 like that, absolutely. If I ever came across one and, you know, the number was right, I would snatch yep. it up in a heartbeat. So how did you get connected with Wilson Combat? That's my other big question. Because there are, I, I, if I could have one, I would but I, yeah. you know, so, I'm beholden uh, to my wife and two kids that are outside the door right now. Okay, hold on. Now, there's a part two to that question. How did you get hooked up with Wilson Combat? And how did you get them to make the Mike Seeklander version? All right, go. <laughs> well, so Wilson Combat was kind of a unique opportunity. The, the, I, I, have, I have known Joyce for a long time, and I knew Bill in passing we didn't know each other real well I mean, he knows who i was and i certainly know who bill wilson was and out of the blue he emailed me and said hey mike I, I got a class going on the instructor fell out can you maybe come down and teach and i said i sorry I, i'm tied up that week already have other things booked can't can't teach and he's like okay thanks uh, a week later or so he sent me a his five by five shooting test he's like hey if you ever thought about shooting this test give it a run i just came up with it and it's a five by five test. So I went straight to the range, not that day, I was going to the range anyways. And I had my carry gun on and I set a target up and turned the video camera on and shot it with my carry gun, just, just literally as I came up to the range and scored whatever I scored. I mean, I, was, I think I was actually carrying an M&P um, shield at that point in time. And I scored, you know, in the master class, whatever, from concealment with my carry gun shooting at it and sent him the edit of the video a little bit and sent it to him and said, yeah, I love the test. Real simple. You know, you could, you could take this test with the box ammo. I really like the simplicity of it. And, um, he gets the video and watch the video. And then this, the bill is kind of a blunt guy. If you get to know him, he just, he says exactly what he thinks. Next email I get is, uh, ever considered being part of Team Wilson Combat? And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, the response was, well, I'm, I'm currently sponsored by, uh, I was shooting for uh, Rock Island at the time, Rock Island Armory and uh, Arm Score. And I said, I'm, I'm just about out of contract. They said, well, come down to the ranch. I want to show you some guns. And uh, that's just the kind of guy he is, very blunt. He wanted me to look at the product before we talked any further. So I went down to his ranch, stayed and shot a bunch of 1911s and a bunch of guns. And... Um, 
uh, short story version is he, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And uh, so I moved over to Wilson Combat. As far as the Seaclander version, I got to be careful because every time I, I get a gun and I have them do things <laughs> to it and then I put it on the internet, like on Instagram, and I tell people, hey, yeah, I got, got this. You know, like they, they made these kind of specially serrated, super thin front sights for a while. I think they offer them now, but before they were doing the one-offs for me. And of course, I put it on Instagram. And next thing you know, they get their email blown up. And they're like, Mike, you can't put some of this stuff. No, we're not going to do all those things. They're not part of the model. So I don't actually have a C-Clander model. I, I, I have C-Clander things they do for me. Uh, I wish I did have a C-Clander model. Actually, I think that's something we're talking to them about. They, they've talked about doing. Like, there's the Hackathorn 1911. I think they have the Vickers. Of course, you know, the, those old distinguished guys. So they had talked to me about doing a model, but right now they're so far behind. I don't think they're going to do anything but try to catch up. So, Oh, wow. Is that due to the pandemic or just? Well, yeah, I think pandemic. I think... Uh, the, you know, the, the politics and, hey, we're going to buy a Wilson Combat AR. I better buy it now because, you know. Part of the 8 million new gun buyers. I got yeah, it. they're just, they've broke every single month. You know, and they're, they, the EDC X9 series is kicking butt and such an awesome gun. And then, of course, they came out with the smaller version and the L version. So that backed up order. So they just build good products. So Yes, they do. All right. So you're. You're actually going to shoot the same gun you said um, from single stack to IDPA. You're just going to – now, what kind of optic are you putting on your, your pistol? Well, so when I say same, same gun, same frame, you know, I'm shooting single stack 40, 1911, uh, Wilson Combat CQB, and I'm shooting a CQB with an optic on it in the carry optics division. Of course, one is 40. One is nine millimeter. Right now, I have Delta Point Pros on the guns. Okay. I don't have any affiliation with an optic manufacturer, Hollow Sun. I have some of their stuff. They sent me a little bit to TNE. I really love. I really love Hollow Suns. To be honest with you, uh, I like the Delta Point for its window. And, and when they built the guns, that's the mounting plate and the system they used. Uh, but I'm not sold on any one optic at this point in time. I just I like the clarity of the window and the width of the window. The Delta Point. I like the dot size. Uh, I, I like some of the other features that come with the Hollow Suns and different optics. But I haven't, you know, I haven't tested all of the manufacturers across the board. Uh, I'm just shooting what I have right now. So, right, and and you're not endorsing anything, so I I get that. So what? But what is it about the? I have not shot Hollow Sun. So someone who hasn't shot it, what what do you? I'm sorry, used it on a, a pistol. What do you like about the hollow? Well, I actually, I have, I have two uh, five, or the five tens. I have, I have two of the bigger ones on my PCCs and rifles. I actually have three of them. Um, first, number one, they're, I, I like their look and their mounting solution. They, they, you know, they, they, they have a good look to them and how the, how you mount the optic on the rifles. Number one, number two, they're beasts as far as robustness. I mean, they're. Okay. Drop the rifles, drop the handguns, manipulated with my optic off my belt and my holster. Uh, you know, been in the rain, been in the heat with the with the optics on the rifles. Took them on, put them back off. No zero shifting. They're they're just robust little pieces of gear. Uh, you know, they're I think they're one of the only manufacturers out there that's waterproof to a certain level, as far as I know. Um, they have a you know, Holosun also has a very unique feature in some of their reticles where you can pick between 
you know, the circle, mm -hmm. the circle and the dot, yep. just the dot or just the circle. And you just hit click a button and hold it down. So I love that multiple reticle feature yeah. is very interesting. You know, they have, uh, they're all shake awake. So if you run them for defensive use, you could set them to shake awake. So when you touch the gun, they come on. Mine have never failed to work ever. Uh, but they also have some of the solar features as well. So if you're out in the bright light, it's it's running the optic off of the solar uh, versus your battery. You know, like the last time I replaced a battery, I just finally replaced one. It was in there for a year and probably daily use. So uh, battery life is fantastic. They're, they're a great little company. Uh, yeah, okay. I have their 507Cs as my um, offset on my LPVO rifles. Yep. So, and it's the same thing and, and for the same reason. And, and just so everybody knows, definitely not one of our sponsors because we have none. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're great. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I am too. I really am. I, I didn't think I would be, but I got them. them. They're just robust little beasts. So they'll put in work. So do you have, how has the uh, ammo problem affected your ability to to conduct training or to train yourself yeah so the ammo issue is probably the only thing that has affected my teaching in the last year last year at the pandemic basically i canceled all the front-end classes and moved them to the second half of the year and they all refilled so i was booked all year long i just had a really really heavy tail end of the year kind of schedule this year, however, and I think it's finally starting to loosen up a little bit. I think the prices are coming down. People are not signing up for classes because they can't find ammo. Uh, or to, to, to take the class, they have to spend a thousand bucks in ammo versus 200 bucks two years ago, you know? So that's affected my student count for sure. I still have students. I still am almost filling a lot of classes depending on which ones I'm, I'm teaching, but it's tougher to get students to sign up for them. For sure. As far as my personal, I'm I'm my ammo supplies are dwindling. You know, one of my Wilson Combat sponsorship perks is some ammo, but I have I have I've got just a little bit of practice ammo on the front of the year. I'm talking just a few thousand rounds, and they, they don't have any to give me. Uh, so it's yeah, I'm in a, pretty much as much of a bind as everybody else. And if it, when it when it comes down, I'm going to be ordering pallets. So <laughs> I think we're all in that same boat after this. Holy cow! It's been crazy. Now, do you travel around to do training, or do you primarily try to do it in a certain location? I travel all over. Yeah, I okay. travel all over the U.S. Have you ever considered doing, like, like having your own facility and bringing people in? Well, I mean, I, I have a place here. I can, I can, I do schedule classes here and bring, I bring students here. But to be honest with you, I think people are are uh, are so used to having me here. My classes don't fill here where when I go to a location where, I, where I'm rarely at, they tend to fill more. I don't know why that is. Uh, it is, you know, it's generally better for the student if I can go to them. They don't have any travel costs. They don't have any hotel costs. And, you know, a good coordinator can fill a class of, you know, 15 to 18 students pretty easily, assuming that we don't have crazy ammo stuff. But I, I have a facility as far as actually building a, you know, a premium type top end training place, certainly a, a dream but it's difficult to make something like that really work and make money. Uh, so it's also something that you're tied to. You're tied to with the EPA. You're tied to in a lot of different areas. Uh, I'm probably less inclined to do that and be a little bit lighter on my feet and be able to go and teach classes to 
whoever, you know, civilian groups, military groups, law enforcement groups. So, you know, and, and, and I know um, that I am more likely to take a class if there's an instructor in my area sure. because of everything you just said. Number one, I don't have to take as much time off of work. I don't have to do all the logistics of the traveling. Um, I, you know, it's local. I can go there. I can shoot. I can learn and then just go back home. Sure. So right. it is definitely more appealing. Yeah. It's way easier on the students, which is why I am okay traveling and, you know, traveling to the students. It's just part of the deal. So. So how did doing that kind of training morph into the best defense? Because we haven't talked about that yet, but I, that is where I got introduced to you. And by that, I mean, I saw you on TV. Um, sure. So how did, how did that happen? Well, I was, I was running the USG Academy and had linked up with Rob Pincus. And Rob had been to the, the USSA to film a bunch of different content here and there when he was one of the hosts on the best defense brought me in as a guest instructor. Um, Michael Bain got to know me and then he brought me back to shooting gallery as a guest instructor. So I kind of developed that relationship with the, you know, the crew and, and the, the two other hosts, Mike Janich and Michael Bain. And then, you know, uh, Pincus decided to move on onto his own thing. However that happened, Pincus is moving on. They're looking for a gun guy. They know me. I've already helped them on camera. They know, you know, I can do okay on camera. I wasn't great when my first season i certainly had a lot to learn uh and so so it was kind of one of those deals where i got the offer and said heck yeah let me let me figure this out let me figure out how to teach all all of the things that i normally teach in an hour in eight minutes you know so it was a learning curve but uh i was just the right place right time and had, had made some relationships training wise um actually let me go back because I, I wrote down a question i meant to go back to you mentioned the five by five test from Wilson. What can you go into detail as to what the five by five test is? So the five by five skills test is a 25 round test. And there are, I guess, technically four strings. Um, and it, 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 so basically you have a box of ammo, a box of 50 rounds, and you're gonna do several strings. Uh, they're all from the holster. So, for example, string one, you draw and you fire five shots to the body. Uh, on string two, and I do the strings a little out of order, but it doesn't matter. I do, I do them to be a little bit more efficient. On string two, you draw and shoot five rounds. Of course, you have a total of ten rounds in the gun, so now your slide locks the rear. you got to perform a, a slide lock reload and fire five more rounds. Um, string three, draw and fire five uh, rounds strong hand only, so test your strong hand only ability. And then string four, you're gonna go draw and fire four to the body, one to the head. So test pretty much all of the skills except for support hand, which is something that, that I add to the five by five when I do it with some students is that we add a, that additional string. It's not the five by five then, I guess, technically. Um, I don't know why, why Bill didn't add the support hand to that particular test. But anyways, that's it. It's all based on you know your, your score is your total time, just like an IDPA, you add the times up. It's, it's just like the IDPA classifier now. And, um, you know, in IDPA, if, you know, there's the, the zero, the down one, the down three. So you take, you, you add time to your score based on where shots are. Hopefully they're all centered and you get your headshot. But the point is, you know, and then Bill has a kind of a scoring system where if you shoot it in this time, you know, you, you might be equal to an IDPA marksman. If you shoot it this way, this time, you know, you'd be comparable to an expert or master or whatever else. Um, so he kind of has his baseline 
scores too. So you, you've turned it into like a six by five with the support hand. Yeah, if, if you did the support hand, it would be a, yeah, exactly right. It would be a six, six by five. Okay. So you do the same exact way, timed and all of yeah. that. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds exactly like the IDPA classifier. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they, they took the five by five test and turned that into the IDPA classifier when they got rid of the old one. Okay. Yeah, so. Wow, it's good to. I had no idea that's where they got it yep. from. Learning so has occurred. A little bit of history. Yeah, Bill, and Bill did the uh, five by five <laughs> handgun skills test, and then I said, "Hey, are you working on a rifle one?" And I so I kind of helped him co-develop the five by five rifle test, which is similar in many ways. The distances are different, but uh, it's similar. So, and the five by five handgun, by the way, is, is all at ten yards. So it shot on an IDPA target at ten yards. Pistol marksmanship. What do you think is the Number one, most important thing about pistol marksmanship. Grip the gun. That's the single most important thing you can do. Grip I was so hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's not trigger control. Everybody wants to say trigger control. It has nothing to do with I always tell people effective trigger control, by the way, non-fire and pistol, is grip control. That's, that's what good trigger control is, not necessarily... You know, aiming the gun, we all know we have to aim to hit the target, but the, the aiming process is really pretty intuitive and simple, assuming you know a few things. But proper grip. People fail on their grip more often than not. And um, them changing grip pressure moves the gun. So all of the things that are happening in bad marksmanship, when you're not hitting what you're trying to hit at, it's happening probably in the hands or the grip. When we're talking about handgun, of course. But. Okay. So on top of that question... Because <clears throat> we talked about it, it came up when we uh, when we interviewed uh, Tim uh, Heron. Um, that was his mm -hmm. uh, his I don't want to say soapbox, but he definitely that was a big point that he made as well. Um, but what for you is the grip control for your your shooting hand and your support hand? Like, is there a magic equation for 60-40, 50-50? No. Now, you know, I think as instructors, and by the way, Tim is one of my uh, students, alumni, so he, he probably would say grip because the, he, heard, he heard me saying that years ago, and he's gone a long ways with it. He's a fantastic shooter, super intelligent, great guy. I liked him a lot, Big actually. Big fans, yep. yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a good dude, man. I just like that guy. He's just fun to be around. We'll let him know that he passed um, the, the test. What's that? We'll let him know <laughs> he passed the test and answered correctly. Yeah, he, that's exactly right. He did. Um, but in terms of the pressure, so I, I think a lot of the things that we say to students are things we heard said to our, ourselves as a student, then we repeat that. We don't take a lot of time to think things through, right? So the standard 60-40 equation came from one or two, one or two in my, this is my theory, of course, one or two areas. Number one, we had an instructor a long time ago that said, hey, none of my students actually use their support hand like they should. So I'm going to lie to them a little bit. I'm going to say, hey, I want you to use 60% of your pressure with your support hand and 40% of the pressure with your strong hand. So their brain is really thinking about squeezing tight with that hand, you know, that, that support hand. In reality, that probably just got the students up to the level where they maybe were gripping 40 or so percent with their support hand. Um, the other instructor cadre out there will say, well, if you squeeze too hard with your strong hand, you'll have trigger freeze when you're trying to shoot fast. Okay, that's not what causes trigger freeze. What causes trigger freeze is the inability to release the trigger to, to fire the next shot. That's what causes trigger freeze. Or too much tension in the trigger finger, right? Um, 
and those that are just barely riding the trigger and, and not resetting where they should be, which is past the reset point, will oftentimes have trigger fear. So to answer your question, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I grip the gun about equal. I just grip it really hard with both hands. And with my students, I try to tell them, we're always focused on placement and pressure. You can't, they're not necessarily separate, but they're related. Right. So your, your hand placement and where you're placing your hands is super important. And then how you're pressuring the gun. Like I'm using a lot of palm pressure on the back of the gun where I've locked the hands together. And yes, I'm squeezing on the gun, but I'm increasing the pressure on the back of the gun with my, with my palms, which is, you know, that's something I heard probably from Rob Latham years ago in passing. And then I finally started playing with it and realized I could get a lot better recoil control if I had the proper placement and pressure direction on the handgun itself. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, they're they're like kissing cousins. They're related, but you know. That's right. Gotcha. That's exactly right. Uh, what about strong hand and support hand? Because I I know that um, even when, so going back to something we have in common. So you shot division matches, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. So did I. Um, and the my Achilles heel has always been one-handed yep. shooting. Because it's like I've never been able I, – I don't think, in in my estimation, that I've ever gotten the grip right shooting one-handed. No. It seems like I either put too much on there, and I and I, I literally do this because I'm gripping too no. hard, um, or I'm not gripping hard enough. What is the best way to practice one-handed shooting, whether it's strong or support? So, in, by the way, if you're, if you're shaking the point where you have a tremor and it's not something that's – you know that, that you're – Maybe because some people have a natural tremor, then you you might have too much grip on the handgun. But I'll, I'll I'm gonna I'll give you the secret to one-handed shooting in, in about four or five words. It's God bless you. They'll be, people will watch this video probably maybe if, if not. But I hope so. Here's the here's the secret to one-handed shooting. These three fingers. That's it. Okay. And the the main thing that I'm focused on with one-handed shooting, of course, I have a couple tricks. Number one, I'm flagging the thumb, and when you start to flag the thumb up. It pulls these fingers into the grip. It solidifies your grip. So I would recommend a, a, a flag thumb type position, even if you're not shooting 1911. You know, with my students, I always want them to get the arm behind the gun and the body behind the arm. So I may shoot from a canter position or a straight up and down position. But the point is, if the camera can see this, the arm is behind the gun, where now the arm is not behind the gun. So if you see the difference, that's mm -hmm. Yes. And then the second thing I want them to do is get the body weight behind the arm. So get the arm behind the gun and get the body weight behind the arm. So if I'm shooting with my right hand, the large majority of my body weight would be my right handed, or excuse me, on my right foot. And I would be very aggressive and forward in that position. Gotcha. And here's the secret, the last thing you need to pay attention to. When I'm practicing one-handed shooting, I don't care about my trigger control. Yes, I'm gonna prep the trigger. Yes, I'll probably fire from the prep point because the trigger pull is easier from the prep position. What I'm focusing on is these three fingers, right? If these three fingers are gripping first and then I pull the trigger, I won't move the gun. If I grip and pull, I will move the gun every single time. But the only thing, like when you're doing your one-handed drills, just stick the hand out there, lock the three fingers and grip, and then the pressure is not allowed to change. You have to maintain that exact pressure I guess technically you can increase pressure if, you're, if you don't feel like you're gripping hard enough. But if the pressure is changing and you're releasing, you're fine. We know we used to say back in Fletzy, you don't want to fire the gun with your whole hand. You want to fire the gun with your trigger, right? So I always tell my students, grip 
then pull. Don't grip and pull. You hear the difference in the yep. distinction? Mm -hmm. That yep. will solve your one-handed shooting woes almost immediately if you do that. Thank goodness. You may or may not have been taking notes just <laughs> that, then. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I have never in the, let's see, uh, the first division match I ever shot was 86. So however many years it's been, I have not figured it out 30, yet. 34. No. So... Because I'm 36, so 34. <laughs> okay. Quick math. It's a long yeah. time. It's a long time. That's all I know. I wrote down a lot. Anything else that we've talked about that you wanted to go back into, Mike? No, I think, I mean, we've covered some some pretty deep stuff and bounced around a little bit, which I think has been fun. I, I don't, I can't think of anything if you guys, unless there's something okay. to talk about. Well, I mean, the only other thing we, we usually do at the end is we let you talk about your sponsors and we, what kind of what you got coming up roll out the red carpet let you talk about whatever you you feel like talking about before we uh sign off so you know who your sponsors are charities or things that you're interested in and want to let people know how they can get in touch with you or sign up for classes you know go for, for it yeah. so uh probably the easiest way to remember how to find me is just remember my name. You can go to MikeCClaner.com. That'll redirect you to my primary website. Um, from there, you can learn about uh, all of our premium competition programs, all my premium defensive programs, including the, the membership areas, the American Warrior Society and Competitive Shooter Society. They're similar. One has all defensive content. One has all competitive content. Um, of course, as we mentioned before, I am sponsored and, and thankful uh, to my for my sponsor. Wilson Combat is my primary sponsor. And I also work with a company called Precision Holsters. Uh, and I'm just about to start a new kind of venture-ish. So that'll be an exciting thing that I can't talk about this moment in time. But get on my website uh, and consider, even if you, if you don't want to buy a book or take a class, whatever, go to, uh, I think it's the upper left, go to the Pro Tips members area. It's totally free. There's too much content in there, meaning most people tell me I give too much stuff away. But sign up as a pro tip members. That'll also get you on my e email list where when this new thing comes out very, very shortly, we're going to email and tell some people about it because I, th I think it's going to really change from a technology standpoint the way we train. Um, so that's what I have going on. I've got the Nationals coming up in a week and a bunch of classes. Uh, if you go to my primary website, you'll, you'll find uh, in the instructor-led class section, you can click on it, search by location, search by subject. So if you want to take a class, Got lots of open slots, but a lot of them are filling as well. So if you're interested, jump on sooner than later. And uh, hope to see someone or everyone out there uh, on the range someday. Awesome. There you go. Yeah, awesome. We look forward to seeing you sometime. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Thank thanks you, guys. I appreciate having me on the show. And, and good luck um, next week. Yeah, thank you. Well, hopefully I'll be ready, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. All I can do is prepare the best of my ability. So There you go. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.